Uh, and it's time for the cutting room floor, where most of the time some of the best things are left. Yes. So, uh, I'm Jamie. I'm Dom. And we're here for the first time, our pilot episode, to talk to each other, really, just about what we always talk to each other about, which you don't know about. So, Dom, please, <laughs> please, please enlighten the listeners. So, what we always talk about is film and all kinds of things related to it. Um, it can obviously go into other source materials, whether it be novels, comic books, whatever, but it all kind of ties back into this one thing that we love, this medium that we appreciate so much. So we have interesting conversations, and it's just something that I think other people who appreciate this medium as much as us would thoroughly enjoy. So that's what it is. And we thought for this first go-round we would talk about the the turning points in our lives that got us actually interested in film and what goes into it instead of just watching it because media like film tv it's ubiquitous it's everywhere now it's on your phone mm-hmm. on your computer obviously on a tv on a movie screen but there had to be something that that sparked that interest and that that is what we're going to try to stay on task uh and talk about today and i say try because we we do go off on tangents because things <laughs> are obviously connected it's all connected it's all connected and you guys will learn quickly i hope you guys are a little more on the scatterbrain side because we can get that way but that's what makes it fun because just seeing how we got to where we get to sometimes it's just more interesting the conversation itself so dom gave me a homework assignment and i started to watch once Upon a Time in Hollywood last night. Great film. Now, I was working, so it was like on breaks. I'm 45 minutes in, so I'm at the part where uh, Bruce Lee is talking. Oh, man, okay? did you so, not finish the entire I, I, Bruce Lee scene? I, I didn't finish the entire Bruce Lee scene, but I, I do have a couple of, uh, not necessarily critiques, but I guess I, I have a couple questions, and there's one character that I, I wanted to talk to you about. Sam Wanamaker. So so when Rick Dalton has his face in the in the in the glass with the ice mm-hmm. and the and the old producer walks in, or the older producer, mm-hmm. it's Nicholas Hammond. Do you know who Nicholas Hammond is? I don't. I didn't know who he was. Okay, Nicholas Hammond, because obviously Quentin Tarantino loves the seventies. Mm-hmm. And in this respect, obviously the sixties also. Nicholas Hammond was uh I want to say Fritz but I could be wrong. The oldest Von Trapp boy in The Sound of Music. Mm. He was Doug Simpson in the Oh My Nose episode of The Brady Bunch. When when uh, when Marsha gets hit in the face with a football. Okay? He was, <laughs> he was the football quarterback. Okay. But, okay. But more importantly to nerds like me, he was the first live-action Spider-Man in the 70s. From, okay. So, so seeing him and knowing that like Quentin Tarantino... Uh, obviously is a fan of his and respects his acting and his legacy in film enough to have him as a cameo in this, I I found uh, satisfying in a weird way. Well, you know, Quint is just, Quint is a fanboy before anything else. He loves the filmmakers he loves, the actors he loves. He doesn't care about their status, what they're currently doing, what they've done. If they've done something he's appreciated, then he's going to talk about it and he's going to use it as an influence. That's what that's what I like about him. His, 
his influence is all over the place. He it can go from you know from samurais to westerns to whatever you got. His his influence is so it's deep like mine. He likes everything. He yeah. can appreciate everything. So I think in that regards, a lot of people can relate to him because they can find something in all his films that they can relate to himself because he has such a a vast array of influences. So I do like that about him. See, that's one thing you like, but I. I love Roman Polanski, and oh. that was you know Rick Dalton's neighbor. Yeah, so yeah. That there, I was like, oh man, he's talking about my guy. So we both found something in the same movie yeah. that we both liked and connected to. Yeah. Even though you may be more versed in one, and I may be more versed in the other. So, but th- that's why we come together and talk about mm-hmm. it because we see things differently, but we still appreciate it in a lot of the same type of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got to be able to appreciate that stuff. Because, like, okay, obviously, that guy playing Spider-Man, without that betrayal, you wouldn't get something, some of the stuff we got now. So That's it true. took that to the steps to get there. So yeah. I, I, I'm sometimes the journey's more interesting than the end result. Yeah, that is very true. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie Stalker, you know. Stalker. You no, I don't think I have seen Stalker. What is it? Stalker is a it's a Russian film, seventies, from a director named Andrei Tarkovsky. And, you know, he's he's a pretentious filmmaker that a lot of people, you know, it's he's not my favorite. He's okay. But I did appreciate Stalker. Stalker's about this guy who takes these two guys into a place called the zone and you have to travel through it. But in the back of the zone is a place called the room. And in there, all your greatest desires will be granted. But it's not about the room. It's about getting to the room. That's the beauty of the film. Because, you know, I could spoil it for you, but I, I, I won't. Because maybe one day if I if I really feel like messing with you, I'll yeah. give you a messed up homework assignment <laughs> and have you watch Stalker. But it is a film that you can appreciate. Yeah. And I appreciate it. It's, it's a film... Have you seen Annihilation with Natalie Portman? It's like, I think it's 2018. You know what? I have not. And Kamal, you know, the, he actually suggested that movie numerous times to me. That's Stalker. That Without Stalker, you don't have Annihilation. Okay. So, it's pre- Annihilation is a modern, up-to-date, more visually striking version of Stalker. Okay. So, that's what it is. So, if Stalker... You said uh, it's a Russian film from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Is there like, I don't want to say communist propaganda, but can you tell that it was probably made under the restrictions yes. of, okay. Mm-hmm. There's definitely all the undertones of that yeah. in the film. And life reflects it, how the people live there. And it's it's a bleak movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, but it is good. I did I did enjoy it much more than his other films. I'm not... I'm not crazy about him, but he's okay. Because I, I find that interesting that like you can tell, you know, the time period and the place usually of when certain films were made. Like, I'll just use that as an example. Like, a Russian film from the 1970s, you know, communism didn't fall until like 1990, until mm-hmm. Hasselhoff sang on the Berlin Wall. That was the end of communism. Crazy. In, in Russia. <laughs> so, you know, this. Which is insane. Yeah, this insanely obscenely german man mm. <laughs> singing whatever i guess the theme song to baywatch i don't know what he's saying 
Is that what it is? I, I don't know. That's what he was most famous for, right? I mean, Sing- yeah. Everybody yeah. knew him from Baywatch, man. Yeah. I mean, or Knight Rider. But at that <laughs> point, it was more... Yeah, Baywatch was, like, right... Starting at that point, like, 89 or 90, so... Hey, he was in the Sam, man. Yeah. What uh, What's his name? Christopher McDonald? Happy Gilmore? This guy spends more time in the Sam than David Hasselhoff. Christopher McDonald. You know what other film he was in? He's in a lot of films. <laughs> I, yeah, but one of his early, early roles was a T-Bird in Grease 2. He was a T-Bird in Grease 2. One of the worst films ever made. <laughs> now, now, this might be a discussion for another time, but I want to plant a seed. Because uh, Frilish and I were talking about Grease 2 the other day. She loves Grease 2. And we've been watching that uh, Rise of the Pink Ladies, mm-hmm. that show on Paramount+. Plus. Okay. And I find it interesting because they... You know, it takes place in the early to mid '50s, so it's they're sort of touching upon some of the, uh, I want to say, worst things of the era, <laughs> as far as like you know, I'll just say color lines go. Okay, you know, like like ethnicity kind of things, even though it's still like a romanticized version of that, because mm. people do get along when they probably wouldn't have at that time. Of course, and. And we were talking and I said, well, this show wouldn't exist without Grease 2 because Grease 2 allowed people to see a world outside of the first Grease that included Rydell High. Yeah. And I did a little bit of research. So Grease, the play, the musical was written, it premiered in 71. So it was obviously written before that. And Grease 2 came out in 82. So, you know, it was written obviously after Grease. And what happened in between like the musical Grease, which the first one was based on, in Greece too. Roe v. Wade. So it's oh more, yeah, that so, did happen. Yeah, so it's more of a. I think Greece too is more of like a. I I hate to say women's lib, but it's it's more like female centric. Like uh, Stephanie, the main character, Michelle Pfeiffer, as Felicia was telling me, is more almost more more like the Danny, like like male centric because she's more about being independent yeah. doing things herself so that might be a discussion for later but just something to think about yeah even, even though it is terrible <laughs> I, I i do not deny that well of course the time period is going to reflect what's going on in there and of yeah. course that was the time when the ladies were feeling they were feeling good and they were working making their own money they oh they had they had freedom so and you know the control of certain things was on the rise so they had yeah they were liberated in more ways than one so yeah that does make sense so all right why don't you give give them your introduction to how you got in the film okay well i i'm older than dom for one thing so i grew up like i was born in the late 70s so i grew up with uh the original star wars trilogy of course christopher reeve superman you know uh indiana jones oh. like Come on, great. You know, Raiders, Temple of Doom, and uh, your favorite, Last Crusade. The best. It, it is. I, I do not deny that. The and, best. And, you know, all those films. So I was young, and I was like 11 years old like when Tim Burton's Batman came out. Mm-hmm. So 89 was a great year. And when we started thinking about this, I was thinking about 88, because we used to go, my family, my mom used to take us to see movies at, uh, I, I, I was telling you which theater it was. But in 88, we saw, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm, The Great Outdoors. Oh, my. One of my favorites. Yeah, Crocodile <laughs> Dundee 2, which sounds strange. because We'd already seen Crocodile Dundee because this was 88. 
But, you know, like, these films, it kind of got me into, like, I'll say, like, the bigger picture, because before that, it was really just, you know, VHS. Mm-hmm. Like, my dad always buying the sequel, or renting the sequel, I should say. <laughs> so I saw Evil Dead 2 before Evil Dead. Missing in Action 2 before Missing in Action, although... Missing in Action 2 is called The Beginning, in his defense for that one. <laughs> technically, you watched him in order. Yeah, technically. <laughs> and, you know, it's just Chuck Norris's mustache kicking ass. That's there really you. all that was. But, but you know, so, so that kind of led to 1989, which uh, obviously Tim Burton's Batman came out June 23rd. And I remember my mom taking my sister and I to the movie theater and telling us we were going to go see Dead Poets Society. Oh, that's a good one, too, though. I, I know, but see, when you're 11 years old... You want to see Batman. Yeah, you do not want to see Dead Poets Society. Now, when you're older, you want to see you Dead Poets Society. definitely want to see Dead Poets. And I was so disappointed, and then we went up to the box office, and she said, you know, Batman. And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And I think that, it seems almost cliched, but as a, as a kid, seeing what Tim Burton was able to do, because I'd already seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure, mm-hmm. and I'd probably already seen Beetlejuice. I think those were his first two films. Yeah. And to see what he was able to do with Batman and make Michael Keaton, of all people at the time, into Batman, like a formidable Batman. Yeah. Like, that, it was just insane. And I think after that, it kind of snowballed, because in the 90s then... They kept trying to do superhero films, some good, some bad. Mm-hmm. But that that's what got me more into uh, what I wanted to see and what I appreciated. Because Tim Burton is an artsy director. Yes, very. So he took a character that's not artsy and made it kind of artsy. Yes. And look, Jack Nicholson. Jack was Jack amazing. Palance, even. Like, in- incredible. Even... Uh, Kim Basinger. Kim had, Basinger was great. And she was hot. Yeah. And and you know, it was like the like her her peak time pre LA Confidential yeah, was also great. She was great in that too. Was she Veronica Lake in that or something? Yes, she yeah. Is. Incredible. She is Veronica Lake. But you know, we probably wouldn't have had that without Batman. No, you wouldn't. And then a couple years later, I I was I think I was telling you a couple days ago that my one friend worked at Blockbuster. And he told me to check out Clerks. It's, it seems to be the film people suggest it's, to people when it's they're kind of getting drug. into the deeper side. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good gateway film. Because that led to Slackers, mm-hmm. Richard Linklater, yeah. and and all these other independent films that I I grew to love. There was a really good one called Have Plenty. I don't know if you've ever seen Have it. Plenty, the black movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that was actually uh-huh. really good. Like, an independent film, but it was... Yep, whatever was happened to that guy? He was no incredible. Clue. The dude with the curly hair. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good. I can't believe you've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it probably since I was like maybe 11 or 12. Yeah. That's one of them ones I watched with my mom back in the day. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a great movie because like the 90s then, oh, and then... After Clerks, you had Brothers McMullen. Mm-hmm. So, like, Ed Burns came came along. So, it's like Kevin Smith, Ed Burns, Richard Linklater. Sure, yeah. Like, all these guys that obviously influenced other people. And around the same time, you had Tarantino. Yeah. But Tarantino wasn't... I, I was more into, I guess... Like the romantic comedy the kind rom- of thing. Yeah, the the the, it, the art house rom com. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what you could call it. Yeah, um, like like you like singles. Oh which yeah, was good, Cameron you know? Crow. Yeah. yeah, Cameron Crow. Yeah, came, came through around that time too. Yeah, so. yeah, because he 
he wrote Fast Times mm-hmm. when he was young, and then Say Anything was yeah, I think his Say first anything. film he directed. His, see, that's a rom com I can get down with. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's definitely more my speed because all those directors are kind of like. I will put them in the same group. Crow, Smith. Yeah. You know, all them guys, I will put them in the same category. Linklater, of course. I mean, they all, as they grew, they all kind of did their own things and kind of had their their big moments and their low points. But they all still had a style that I think a lot of people still do to this day try and capture. Because the magic of Clerks, it'll never be captured. All the... I love every Clark sequel, but that first one, that magic will never be captured again. No, never. Like, it it was lightning in a bottle. As it you really said. was. Yeah, like, yeah. And done on a shoestring budget with in a store, like yeah, a couple dudes who don't act. And it was know? about his life. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like I feel the same way about uh, Kurt Cobain. With Nirvana. So you have like Bleach, their first album that nobody bought, which is still great. Still great album, yeah. Nevermind, which everybody bought, but it was still sort of about dealing with like the lack of success, even though even though they did Bleach. Mm-hmm. And and then you have In Utero, which is about how the success can be disappointing because mm-hmm. now his life has changed. So what's he gonna write about? Mm-hmm. That's such a good album. Oh, In Utero is incredible. It's so good. I miss the comfort and feeling sad. I think is like the most pertinent line in there because it's like, wow, like what happens when you when you get your success? You hit the mountaintop, and yeah. where do you go? And then yeah. look at look at what happened to him. Yeah. So it's like, I think he was speaking the truth there, but it's like, I don't know. At the same, I mean, we could go on about Kurt and how his mind worked, but I also yeah. think he had demons in him that took his mind down a different route because you got artists who do think that way. And I think Eminem was kind of the same way too. But then you got guys like Spielberg or Christopher Nolan who are like, okay, I did something absolutely incredible. I'm going to top that. Yeah. And I have a way to do it and they do it. So I think that also just goes into the mindset of an artist and what their motivation is. You know, Christopher Nolan, every two, three years, he's going to try and change the game. He's going to yeah. change the game in some kind of way with Oppenheimer. This yes, like, yes. Some kind of way he's, he's going to change the game. So, it, In some ways, he might actually nuke the game. He? <laughs> with Oppenheimer. <laughs> he might actually. Guys, he, understand, you will hear gonna, some great jokes coming from this man after me. After we see Oppenheimer, we might start singing, you dropped a bomb on me. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great song. <laughs> It is, and it might be apropos. You know, and it'll be very fitting, and we'll probably love it. So, so that's so that's what got you into it. Yeah, yeah. So, what carried you in to now? So, what what influences kept your love for it alive as the years have gone on? I think it's because, like, going back to like Kevin Smith with Clerks, he kept doing films, whether they were good or bad. Mm But he kept growing as a filmmaker and he would also direct like TV shows and do other things. And, you know, he kept himself out there as he got older. So he still stayed relevant. Mm -hmm. So his characters stayed relevant. So even with Clerks 2 and Clerks 3, they're obviously not as good as Clerks. Although Clerks 3, the way it, all the callbacks to Clerks, it, you know, it's close. 
because it, it sort of shows you how much they uh, actually love each other. Absolutely. Those characters and who they are and what they mean to him. And I, I think that the, like those types of things. And he's also a comic book nerd. Yeah. So like, I would, I love comic book films, not as like the greatest thing ever. Like my favorite film of all time is mash because the first time I saw it, I fell in love with the fact that it was different than the TV show. Mm-hmm. Cause I only knew the show before that. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing Donald Sutherland, Elliot Gould. He was he was golden, what, man. Robert Altman. Like Robert his, Altman. his direction. Dude, you already know how I feel yes. about Robert Altman. He and is the man. It's kind of like guerrilla filmmaking and these these actors who were young at the time, like almost unproven, he gave them a chance to shine and to be something more. So like in spite of my love of certain genres like superhero films or whatever. I still love, like, the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Classic. Kids. Uh, Casablanca's. Classic. I actually do, I love Citizen Kane. And it's not necessarily, it's like, what he was able to accomplish at 25. Oh my God, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. See, and here's the thing. And so people understand this. We'll just get this out of the way right now. <laughs> I am not the biggest Citizen Kane fan, but that does not mean I don't appreciate it for what it is and what it did for cinema. Citizen Kane, first of all, I love Orson Welles. I think he is one of the best filmmakers and one of the most underrated actors because he's given some brilliant performances. But Orson Welles, he was a genius. And what he did pull off at that age, come on, no one was doing that, especially in the 30s. So I have to give the movie its credit. I just don't find it that entertaining. It's not a film I'd throw on if I need to pick my day up. That's my my gripe with the film. But it's not a bad film. So what what got you into film? Because you're very young to be this learned and this passionate about uh, someone like David Lean. I always say Mm -hmm. that. Like, that blows my mind. Because he's obviously an incredible director, but how do you know about him? Why do you know about him? Well, let's see. David Lean, the first David Lean film I saw was Brief Encounter. And I actually Mm. saw that younger, and I thought it was incredible. Short film, but nothing like what he's known for. So later in life, when I eventually saw Dr. Zhivago, Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, all those, I thought back to that and was like, wow, what a guy who can make such small-scale intimate films and make the largest scale thing you've ever seen and they're both so intimate and grabbing emotionally and visually no matter what scale it's on Lawrence of Arabia is one of the biggest films ever especially for that time but it feels like I'm sitting right there next to Lawrence and we're just locked in together on a tight journey even though we have this van this vast landscape around us we got the whole desert all this stuff all these set pieces he can still make a film that intimate and grab you right in and have you connect with the characters. And that's where I appreciate lean as a director so much, like great expectations. What he was able to do with that story. I just, I could never picture that story because I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. but I've, I know a lot about it. And from what I've heard about it, it just sounds like almost an impossible movie to make that will be entertaining. And it's actually very entertaining. So Lean is just, he's next level. He's next level. So, but what really got me in the film, 
I grew up with it. So I was born in the Midwest. I'm a 90s kid. I was born in the early 90s. So I was raised by the TV. My mom had me young, so I watched a ton of TV. And I spent a lot of time with my grandma, my uncle. And my uncle would show me, you know, cartoons and movies and stuff like that. And I would like them. But my mom was really the one who got me into them. And she always liked the the B movies, the back of the video store stuff, mm-hmm. the stuff you would never the, the stuff you never see. Like she would watch the weird movie from the popular actor that no one's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. So I started watching films with her and one of the early ones I can remember was Gia with Angelina Jolie. Uh-huh. And I really liked that film when I was quite young when I saw it. But the one that really got me was she took me to see this in theaters. And it was Boogie Nights by PTA. Oh my god! Yeah, my mother took me to see this that, movie. You would have been what five or six? I was right? like six. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was like six, and she took me to see this movie, and it was a late showing too, and it's an almost three hour movie, yeah. and I was glued the whole time, and. My young mind, I don't know what was going on, but I was like, I really like that. And I thought about the film a lot, and when it finally came out on VHS, you know, we had rented it and watched it again, and I was like, man, I freaking love this movie. And that, any chance I could get to watch it, you know, over the years, I would. And I've you know, saw it a bunch of times, and my cousin really liked it, and we he was a little older than me, so we watched it, had a good time. But that was the one that made me really... I was like, okay, I like this medium. So started watching all kinds of stuff. I grew up with all kinds of crap. You know, I would watch dramas, action, cartoons. It did not matter. I watched whatever. But the film that really pushed me over the edge was The Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Um, I mean, Star Wars in general hit it hard for me. But when I first really sat down and watched the OT like a new hope i was like okay this is this is pretty cool but after i watched the empire strikes back i was just mind blown and i was just like god i was how can one film be this good how can it the empire strikes back has every single thing in a film and it's only two hours it's got great story a great continuation of a story Mm. it's got all kinds of innovations yoda is one of the sweetest most original puppet designs and frank oz killed it with him sweet he is yeah sweet he is (laughs) (laughs) you know dagobah just the look of dagobah alone was just it was a fantasy world you know and and you can see the influence of just dagobah alone throughout the whole 80s look at the labyrinth look at dark crystal Mm. look at all that stuff you can just see dagobah all over it and it's funny the story it's dark and gritty and yeah that was just risk taken at the time and i just i've always loved the risk that george lucas took with star wars that was a big risk paid off major and so was revenge of the sith later on down the road big risk and it paid off major so those were the two films that have really deepened my love but it's it just grows and grows with the more I learn and the more films I watch, especially with these international films. Well, I think Irvin Kirshner, he directed Empire. Yes, he did. And he was the king of sequels for a while. Because mm-hmm. I think he also did Never Say Never Again and RoboCop 2. 
He did RoboCop too. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's where I first heard his name. Or read his name. Because I remember reading like the novelization of it back in like 1990, whenever it came out. And I didn't know he did Empire until later, until I started reading credits. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, I didn't know he did Never Say Never Again until then, which is just the remake of Thunderball. Mm-hmm. With I think Kim Basinger was in that, yep. too, wasn't she? Yep. Hey, she, she had a nice little career yeah. for a while, for sure. Yeah. Wow. She was... She was hot, man. <laughs> Back in the day, oh yeah. So, I, so I, I know you love Paul Thomas Anderson. So, that's, oh yeah. So, so was he your gateway drug to like more arty films? I'd say if, if we're if we're gonna say a director was my gateway, him and Scorsese. Ah. Um, Taxi Driver. I saw that when I was eighteen, and that that slightly changed my life a little bit too. Yeah. I didn't know what I was seeing, but I knew I loved it. It was yeah, just one yeah. of those things I really, at the t- now I could break it down and tell you what I love, but at the time I couldn't really explain in the words why I love the film so much, but it just made me want more as well. But Paul Thomas Anderson with each release, I think he, he put his footprint in the game, but didn't make a big enough one to where he would have to feel like he needs to top himself. Okay. Where I feel like Tarantino almost does that, but he's one of the guys who does it effortlessly. I think a lot of guys feel the pressure. But PTA, he knows how to push the boundary just enough to where your eyes are on him, but your expectations for him on the next one aren't through the roof. Maybe people thought that with There Will Be Blood because that was just some some that we'll never see again. I don't think we'll ever have. It'll be a long time before we get a movie like that again with a performance like that again, because it's just, that's, that's a one in a lifetime, you know, that it just, everything clicked at the right time when when that came out. But I think he really changed the game with that. But then the master, I think that was one of the most underrated game changing movies. And it's two of the best active performances with Philip Seymour and, of Joaquin Phoenix and no one talks about it and it makes me sick because they're electrifying in that movie like for people who haven't seen that movie there's a scene where they're on the boat and they're having some drinks and Philip Seymour is questioning Joaquin and he can't blink and he can't freeze and he has to answer these questions in rapid fire mode and it gets so intense between these two. It's, I mean, I, I started sweating a little bit when I was watching. There's when I sweat during a film, it's intense. Like Whiplash, Damien Chazelle, that made me sweat. So PTA is just, I go on because he started, he became his own. Because if you watch Hard Eight or Boogie Nights, he has that Scorsese Robert Altman vibe with the ensemble cast and things like that. Even in like Magnolia too, with the big ensemble cast, I say next to Robert Altman, he handled that better than anyone. Cause if you watch Nashville from Robert Altman, there's stars all in it and a lot of early ones, but he divides them over this three hour movie so nicely. It's easy to follow them all. And it still makes one good cohesive story. So I think PTA really studied the game very well and got that down. And as he walked the line, he found his own. And I think he really came into it, really with punch drunk love, but mm. great film. Yeah, that is a great yeah. film. Yeah. 
But and I'm not a Sandler fan. Mm-hmm. It, and but in that movie, it was his first great lot, performance. Yeah, it turned yeah. a lot of people from Sandler haters to Sandler observers. I'll yeah. say fans. <laughs> I'll say observers. So. Yeah, observers is a good word. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know what? Well, screw it. It's the pilot episode. While we even got Adam Sandler on the subject, let, let's talk about him for a second. Okay. Because I think that Adam Sandler is possibly top three most underrated actors of all time. Because obviously people judge him on his comedy movies and yeah. think he's silly and goofy. But I'm like, listen, when you, your movies make $300 million every time, you're doing something right. Yeah, yeah. And if Netflix, it sounds dumb to say, if Netflix is willing to bankroll your entire like later career, yeah. so he can do more independent films, you know? So he does, like, I'll just say, like, the... Like the pop music version of, of a film for like Netflix, so he can do more serious things. Yep. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And he started out as Theo's white friend on the Cosby show. He did. He did. That's crazy. That was before Saturday Night Live. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. As weird as that sounds. And he was also, I think, on there was a game show on MTV in the mid to late eighties called Remote Control. That Colin Quinn was uh like the MC of, I think, or something. I don't think he was the host. But he was like the, yeah, the MC is all I could think of. So Adam Sandler would come on and do like, I think, different characters. Really? It was a weird game show about TV. It was called Remote <laughs> Control. So That's like, kind of dope. Yeah. And it's, you know, from where he started out to what he's been able to do, as much as I might not be a fan of like the... Uh, Don't tell me you hate the water boy. I, I've actually only seen part of it. Believe it or not. So Someone was watching it the other day at work. Actually, it was last night somebody was watching it. Hey, see, look yeah, at that. Yeah, because Kathy Bates plays his mom, yeah. right? And, oh, yeah. And and the woman from The Craft. The Craft. And Return to Oz. Yeah. She was super American young in that. History X. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. She was in it, yeah. And Henry Winkler. Mm-hmm. Nicest Yo, guy Henry in Hollywood. Winkler's the man. Yeah, Come the Fonz. Yeah, the Fonz. Yeah. He's great. So I, I haven't seen it because I, I had bad experiences with... Uh, or a, a bad experience with Happy Gilmore. Speaking of Christopher wait, McDonald. Wait, what is your bad experience with Happy Gilmore? I was a freshman in college and my roommate was hanging out with these uh, stoners. The oh, type of people got, that had like Jerry Garcia's obit hanging right. in their room, mm-hmm. you know? So everybody was high because he's like, hey, let's go watch this movie. And everybody's high as hell, like just laughing at the wallpaper. <laughs> so I couldn't focus on the film and it just totally turned me off. <laughs> To everything about it, bro. Because of that, Gilmore is legendary. It's, dude. I could quote that entire film. That's I saw that in theaters with my mom too. I'll tell you this: if we could get all get all the money back, my mom spent on taking us to the movies, dude. I could buy a brand new car. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> like we lived in the movie. She took me to see Happy Gilmore. I was quite young, like I barely remember it, but I yeah. do remember going and seeing him in the Bruins jersey. Because that was what, like ninety six, maybe ninety seven. Yeah, I think it's six actually. Around the time of the Cable Guy, mm-hmm. oh, which is actually one. still a great movie. Another great one, yes. yeah. Which but people hated at the people time. People hated at the time. Like now, it's just a dark, humorous, funny story, but quite sad too. Yeah, Jim Carrey, another. I won't say he's underrated. I do think people have given him his credit over the years, but I think yeah. he's been snubbed for a couple Oscar nominations. Yeah, for The Mask, the- <laughs> Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. 
They should have gotten him. You know, he he should be considered the best actor of all time after those roles, especially yes. after Dumb and Dumber. Come on. Yes. But Actually, you know what? A lot has to be said for him and Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels is great. Jeff Daniels incredible. Mm-hmm. He's in Dumb and Dumber. He's and just, just in, in everything. Mm-hmm. But like he's always serviceable. But the fact that he could keep up with Jim Carrey. Yes, and that level of energy yes. and comedic spirit. Because he is Jim Carrey is one of a kind. Especially nineties yes. Jim Carrey. Like, oh my god, yes. But the Truman show and oh, yeah. Eternal Sunshine, he and Man on the Moon, he he killed those roles. I think the Truman show was an Oscar nominated worthy role. Is that he Peter was, Weir? Yes, it is. And he killed that. Yeah. And Ed Harris is good in there, too. He's a villain. He's always a villain. He makes a good villain, He though. does. He's a great villain. Yeah. He's always the villain. Yeah. Though. I mean, like, he was he was Maverick's nemesis in Top Gun Maverick, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. What, wait, was it Ed Harris? I think it was Ed Harris. Was it? I think it, he was the guy who's like, you're going here. It is going. freaking yeah. Ed Harris. It is Ed Harris. But it was really John Hamm who was the dickhead. Oh, well, yeah. But it was Ed Harris in there. He's yeah. in everything, man. Love yeah. him in a beautiful mind. You've mm. seen that, Russell Crowe? Uh, a long time ago. Felicia loves that movie. That's a, such a great movie. That's Ron Howard. Ron Howard. See, great directors use actors like... Because uh, a beautiful mind is Russell Crowe, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Russell Crowe. I think Ron Howard directed him in a few films like... Cinderella Man. Mm-hmm. But Another then, good film. But then you have like Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe. Oh, they were electrifying. Yeah. Man. Like, I mean, and because did you see Body of Lies with Russell Crowe and Leonardo? I did not. Ridley Scott directed that. It's not a bad movie. It's okay. But still, like, you can still see what he brought out of Russell. Because Russell Crowe really is kind of just on the phone the whole movie. So it's like, you can still see, like... They those two work well together. Yeah, so, yeah. I like Ridley and Russell. They they were good together. Here's a quick aside. Dom has seen way more films than I have. I don't. I don't I, think I, that's true. Actually, I, I probably watch more TV shows than he. Oh, has. you definitely kill yes. me on TV. It's, yeah, that's so. He's got me on TV for sure. He's got me on uh, superhero knowledge a thousand percent, a, a million percent. So anything comic book hero or superhero related this is the guy we're gonna refer to now i am a fan but you know this is the guy with the knowledge now if we're getting into international cinema or stuff like that that's gonna be more my wheelhouse so we both have our specialties so both of us can probably serve it up for you on whatever you need but i don't think i've seen more because there's a lot of like 80s 90s films you've seen that i haven't yes and i i have seen a lot have you ever seen freaks from like the early 30s. No. It's about like circus freaks. It's no, it really, sounds great though. It's a really famous, weird, creepy film. Uh, there was a time in like the mid to late 80s where my my grandmother had gotten a VCR. Mm-hmm. So she just started taping everything. And like okay. handing me videotapes. And she would <laughs> freaks tape. Freaks was one of them. Yeah, Freaks was one of them. Because I guess she remembered it from when she was a kid. It creepy. Is it silent? No, no. Okay. It's early sound. Because it's okay. like 32, 32? 33. Okay. Yeah, it's just weird seeing like all these circus freaks being used. They're kind of being exploited. Of course. Yeah, it and 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 I just mean for the film because you know people that are like half people like walking around. So and they act, they got real, yeah, real circus type, yeah, freaks. Because I, I think one of them 
I want to say like a, a midget, which is a word I don't think we're supposed to use anymore. I think we're... But but uh, at the time, it we'll was been... that out. Yeah, yeah, sorry. A, a little person. Little person. A little I think person. that's what the word is. Yeah. I think he falls in love with a woman, who, like a normal Jimmy. woman, I guess a regular sized woman. And, and I think that's the crux of the story. From what I recall, I could be wrong. But it's like famous for just being like creepy and weird. But is the regular sized woman, does she have a beard? No, I don't believe she does. Okay, so she, yeah. is she hot? I think I think for the time, oh yeah, for like for, the for early thirties, she was yeah. probably Fox. And I mean, but hey, no, go little guy for pulling yeah. the hot regular size chair. Yeah, you go Tom Thumb or whatever your name was, because <laughs> that's usually what they called, you know, circus. Well, actually, believe it or not, in, in spite of the M word, I think they were called circus midgets at the time. So if you go back, okay, that's yeah, not, you know what? Yeah, yeah, this is probably a time period appropriate. Yeah, yeah, word. yeah. For for the thirties, it's. Like to be specific, like not to say it now, but I mean, we, yeah. we I grew up with the M word, even you know me, yeah. so yeah, I didn't yeah. really learn it was offensive until probably the maybe early mid two thousands, maybe like two thousand four, five, six, somewhere around. Yeah, there, so. yeah. So that's our, so freaks. That's yeah. That's a good it's, one. It might be something to check out sometime because I might it, have to. I think it just kind of uh, it just kind of like solidified that you could film anything really yeah and and people would would watch anything because i believe it was before around the same time as king kong which well the originally kong that's a classic classic that that took over a lot of those good early 30s movies i mean the monster films in general king kong dracula frankenstein Frankenstein, like the mummy yeah all those films were some of the best they still really hold up they really do wolf Lon Chaney Jr., I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, it's nuts how those old films do hold up to this day. It is crazy. One film, and you're not going to believe it because I love vampire films, and I am going to watch this very soon. I have not seen the original Nosferatu yet. Really? Max Shrek? Insane, right? That is insane. I need... It's been on my list for months. Because that's what... That uh, last voyage of the Demeter, it looks like... The Max Shrek version, mm-hmm. that nice and, and, and I got thing. that. I got those vibes. Yeah, it just looks like it's gonna be very poorly executed. It looks like Alien on a boat, because you know how you, you know you know what I mean. By yeah, that. like I, that's what it looks like. I just don't know, man. I don't know about that one. I'm I'm critical of vampire films because I love them so much. Yeah, so. It's got, it's, you know, it's got to be done right. But I am weird. I like weird vampire films. I like the romance ones. But see, after Morbius, how could I mean, that's the compare? best vampire movie ever made. <laughs> so, you know, I bought it on Ultra 4K Steelbook. And I just bought it. I didn't even look at the price because I had <laughs> to have it. Yes. So, I mean, uh, Jared Leto. Jared Leto. I, he, he is a great actor, he's though. A, he is great. Oh, he's, yeah. he's incredible. He just was in... A great movie. He was. He was. <laughs> I no, mean, he was. Like, look, Morbius. Although everyone talked crap about it, we did have fun when we saw it. We you did. Know, we, we did. We, we sat there. We laughed. We joked around. Actually, and we yes. got through it. Yeah. So it wasn't bad. And the crazy thing was, we were. There was four of us, and there was maybe eight in the theater eight total. total. Yeah. So it we was easy to. <laughs> To have fun with the film. Yeah, because we didn't have to worry about disturbing the people 100 feet up in the top row. 
<laughs> and and if it becomes a cult classic, that's why because you can have fun with it, knowing that it's not serious. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna have cult status. Look, Jared Harris is in it. <laughs> Matt Smith, who was the eleventh Doctor, dude. Tyrese Gibson, gave oh my god, an you're Oscar worthy right. performance. You're right. <laughs> it was horrible. He was too fast, too <laughs> furious too for that movie. And too furious for that <laughs> film. He's that's not right. a bad actor. I just didn't like him in Morpheus. Yeah, that's right. He, he was like a fed or something. Wasn't yeah, he? he was. Yeah. And he was just very stiff and stale. Um, yeah, that could have been know. the direction though, because. Maybe because the movie's a little stiff and stale. But yeah. I don't, you know, we could call it a resolve. I mean, but I don't think Jared Leto was bad in it. I no, think he, he played his, I think he answered the assignment. Yeah, he, he did his all. I think the problem is when studios, the problem with the inherent problem with superhero movies, I should say, is that if one is successful, studios are going to try to, uh, I, I hate to, to say this, but they're gonna they're gonna mine the well for whatever they can yes. to try to uh, reignite that same spark or yes, whatever that caused are. the success to begin with. So, since Morbius is a secondary Spider-Man character or third, mm-hmm. you know they they were like, all right, we can still go along with whatever Sinister Six plan they tried to start with Amazing Spider-Man Two. Maybe have him be a part of it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I don't think it worked out because it's not the, the same world it was eight or nine years ago when they were starting that idea. Yep, yep. Yes, so. I agree with that because that the game has changed so much from yeah. Amazing Spider-Man till now. Like, yeah. My Lord, like, look what's come out in between there. Like, yeah. It. The hero films weren't even, I mean, obviously they were making money, but they weren't even on the scale of like what they are now. Like, cause hell was, was Avengers out? Avengers was out. Yeah. Right? Cause it was like May and then July. So yeah, it, had, was like it was the same year, right? Yeah. So you had Avengers in May and then you had Amazing Spider-Man in the beginning of was July. Was it June or July? Yeah. It, it was like right in the beginning, around July 4th weekend. Mm-hmm. So they could make more money over a longer period of time. Yeah, because I saw it in the drive-in, drive-in theater, actually. And I love that Garfield was incredible. He was incredible. For being an orange cat, he was a really great Spider-Man. For being an orange, fat cat that loves lasagna. (laughs) Garfield was amazing. No, actually, Andrew Garfield's one of the best (laughs) underrated actors. He is. Oh, bro, Hacksaw Ridge. Come on, man. Um, Tick, tick, boom. More recently. mm, um, Was it Silence? Oh, Come on, man. He's he's a beast. Is that where it, social is that network? With like, was he a monk or something in that? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, social network, beast, man. He's great. I do love Andrew Garfield, and he seems like a cool dude. Like when he was when you showed me the pictures and walking around. With the oh hot yeah, dogs, the hot dog fingers. I was yes. dying. I was like, yo, I love that. You know, that's cool. He's a he's a good dude. But I mean, the hero films alone, like we could have three months worth of episodes on just the evolution and where they're going and what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, the state of the hero world, I'm not a huge fan. I miss, I miss the 2012 state of the hero world. Yeah. Man. because <laughs> Believe it or not, you had Spider-Man at the beginning of July, the middle or end of July, that July, you had the dark Knight rises. Dark Knight rises, dude. Yeah. yeah which had, a lot of people didn't necessarily like. Still one of the best hero films yeah. in this decade. Like, it's probably tones. one of the best James Bond movies. The way it's set up, <laughs> the way it begins, and the way it's set up, it's almost like it's that their version of Skyfall. 
It is. A, Which came yeah, out in November that, that did, year. Yo, that was that was a good year for action and hero yeah. films. Yeah, twenty twelve yeah. was beast. And then what was Guardians that next year? Guardians was August of twenty fourteen. Oh, fourteen. Okay, yeah, two yeah. years after that. Because 13 was Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3. And Thor, The Dark World, which we won't talk about. Which a lot of people would say those are two low points in that phase of the MCU, which I could agree. And just, I, I, we got the Christmas movie in July with yeah. Iron Man 3. And then yeah. Dark World just, it just didn't hold the weight of the first one. And I no. still didn't think it was as bad as people made it out to be. It's I think saying it didn't hold the weight of the first one is... Is a good way to say it because Kenneth Branagh directed the first one. Yeah. And you had like, it was almost Shakespearean in the way that it was written and it acted really because of that, because it of really his classical was. training. Mm -hmm. And you have like, you know, the, the brothers against each other and the father and all the stuff. And it's like, it seemed more, it seemed older. I mean, it was supposed to. Yeah. Like, don't but, get me wrong. But even though he was banished to earth and, you know, he's like, Breaking glasses, but you have what Stellan Skarsgård is in mm -hmm. it. He's amazing. And, yeah, he's so, always amazing. And your girl, oh from my girl, Leon, the professional young, is yes, in it. young Natalie. Yeah, yes, I love Natalie. She's, she's guys. I'm a big Natalie Portman fan, so you might hear me talk about her here and there. Well, those early Marvel films, like pre pre Disney, let's say yes, before Disney bought them, they. They figured out that formula of humor and action and drama so they could almost fit into any genre, even yeah. though... So it's almost like grunge music, how mm -hmm. it could be metal like Alice in Chains or Soundgarden or hard rock or even folk rock, yeah. it, but it was grunge because yeah. it came from a certain area. It had the punk influence. Yes, too, yeah, because Nirvana was a punk band. Yeah, You're right. a punk band, a garage punk band. Yeah. With the because they had the simple, easy lyrics. The simple th their music wasn't complex at all. It yeah. was just it was in your face and it, it got you excited and it made you want to hear it, you know. And that's that's how those those styles of films were back then. It's just yeah, and they uh, could be anything. And mm -hmm. but then I don't want to say like when Disney took over, it kind of there was a, a certain formula then I was, that like, had I was to just be. gonna say they just got formulaic yeah that's all. i was like that's yeah. that's the bottom line they got formulaic and now the state of the world and the social media influence that it has on people's minds they play it safe now yeah and yeah. everyone does it's not just disney a lot of people in studios are playing it safe we're not getting racy humor like we used to we're not getting any type of offensive jokes or anything yeah. anything that may offend any group of people is going to be omitted it's going to hit the cutting room floor yes. so and where we'll find it yeah we'll find it and we'll talk about it because you know we're not getting paid a billion dollars yeah. like disney so we can talk about this stuff but yeah i i think i think the state of the world i mean with Disney is partially to blame, but I do think the state of the world has really, really beat things up. But I do think Disney as a company has embraced that far too much. And I think where DC is winning is they have it. Yes, they're not doing anything crazy, but DC, they're not afraid to put something on like the Watchmen. You know? Yeah, they, yeah. They'll put something like that where there's clearly Rorschach is... He would not be politically correct no, in most no. people's eyes today, but they're not afraid to do that, and I respect that. But, like, 
like freaks, like we can say things about freaks that we can't say now in reference to it. Yes. So like Watchmen takes place in 85. Mm -hmm. So even though it's like an alternate universe, so to speak, because uh, Nixon's still president mm -hmm. and, and all that. But he, for the time, he might be politically correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For, so for the the period it came out. Yeah. But yeah. as Disney, if DC was like, "We're gonna sell you this property, Disney. You can do whatever you want with the Watchmen." Oh my God. They would make first of all and make a PG thirteen version of yeah, it. Yeah, you got to cover up Manhattan's. You got yeah. He, uh, he's gonna get some swimming <laughs> trunks. You know, he's gonna be a Namor. Yeah, <laughs> Submariner. <laughs> and they will. They'll just edit out the. Yeah, edit them. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Yeah, or you know, or it'll be implied to like you ever seen The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro? My God, you know what? I I have, but I think it was uh, I had it on, and I don't remember much of it. Well, you know, it's the fish guy. Yeah, yeah, he ball. looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and, yeah. No, and I said the same thing. So he's got he has a, but it's covered, and they just speak about. Yeah, you know, okay. so that's what they. Disney's not going to speak about it. They're just going to completely act like it doesn't exist. But yeah. Disney would they 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 don't have the balls. And I think at this point because they don't want to show them. They <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that exactly is why. Right. Look at Donald Duck. He doesn't have the balls. He either. doesn't. That's why he's always cursing. That's why he's always cursing. He's pissed off. His voice should be he's as high like, as Mickey. He's already angry he right is. here. He see? is. <laughs> but yeah, D Disney just. I'm sorry, they got to take some risks because yeah. the fans aren't happy. And the money is showing it. Ant-Man underperformed insanely. The The reviews weren't there. It's the proof's in the pudding. You got you to gotta change it up. Well, and, they bought Fox, right? Mm -hmm. And Fox was actually going they were in the taking direction. risk. Is yeah. it Logan? Logan, and Deadpool. Deadpool, man. yeah. Deadpool and, like, Deadpool and Logan are easily two of the best hero films to drop in the last 15 years. Like, yeah. Easily. Like, Logan, bro, they made a Western, gritty-ass movie that was just fun. And, like, they didn't do anything new for the Western genre, but they did something incredibly new for the hero genre. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, y'all can take influences from other stuff. And make something fire. That's why I think they need to watch RRR. Because that I do movie, need to see that. you gotta watch it. It's, yeah. Disney, I know when the people at Disney saw that, they were like, okay, they made this badass movie that anyone can get on board with for $75 million. And it's three hours long and it looks like it costs $200 million to make. And it made a billion dollars. Disney, open wow. your eyes. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Like, the numbers, it's like, I think it's the highest grossing film in India now. Really? In a country where the population's a billion. Yeah. So, that's a lot of butts and seats. Yeah, That's a yeah. lot of ticket sales. And I'm like, Disney, you guys have international pull, but look what look what India's doing. They're going crazy with their films, and they're, they're taking risks, they're having fun, and they're doing it shamelessly, and it's working out. Do you think it's because they're just trying to like buy up things that have proven to make money in the yep. past, and then when people who don't understand why those things were successful try to like you know get their fingers in it, that's yep. what messes it up. I think I think you just hit it on the head perfectly. 
They buy these properties up, these beloved properties, which they know these people love, and they know how people feel about them. And they take things and, and make them not make sense. And you already know, don't get me started on what Disney has done with Star Wars. Mm. They'll make me, that's another one we can go into for four or five episodes. But <laughs> they, I, I'm not going to say they shot Star Wars in the head, but they definitely shot it in the chest. And... You know, it's, it, it's they're holding on by a thread. Like this season of The Mandalorian, it's okay, but I don't want to spoil it for anyone who does want to watch it. But if you if you're a fan of the show, you're gonna watch it and you're gonna think some stuff, and you're not gonna like it. It's mm. that simple. The action's good. I'll say that the action's top notch, but the story and the writing, I don't like where it's going. And although I did enjoy this last episode. I'm not excited for the next season because I know Pedro wants out and that's not good. Yeah. And if you're going to try and replace this man or shift his focus to the other person in the show, who's getting all the attention, I'm not, I'm not down with it. I'm just not. And you guys haven't made, you know, you've made one great film, one good film, one okay film and two crappy films. <laughs> so That's, wait, wait, wait. Which one is which? I'm all right. Curious. So the great film would be Rogue One. Okay. The good film would be Solo. Yes. Because, but, but. That's just me. I like Solo. The people didn't love Solo. I loved Solo. Yo, I loved it too. Look, have you ever talked with Cora about yeah, Solo? Yeah. Oh, yes. we've talked about Solo. Yeah, we both love it. Yeah. She's like, dude, it's underrated. I'm yes, like, yes. Now, it's been out for a few years, so now people are, it is getting reassessed better lately. But when it came out, people were like, I was like, I thought it was fun. But yeah, if only because of Donald Glover. Yes, he Lando. killed. I'm like, his performance alone is worth watching the movie yeah. for. It was just fun, and I and I like what the kid um, did with Han Solo. I thought oh, yeah, he did yeah. all right. You he know? was good. Yeah, Harrison Ford's Harrison Ford. Yeah, but for somebody trying to play a character that is not only a character that's beloved, but an actor too. Yeah, he did a good job. So it was fun. So that's the the great and the good. The okay. Um, Force Awakens. Okay, yeah. Force Awakens. You could have said a New Hope okay. Part Two. Yeah, that's what I was like the re hope, <laughs> the New Hope reboot. Essentially, yeah. a New Hope. It was fun. It was one of those movies when people saw it, they were just so excited to see Star Wars back. Yeah, they were. They were like, "It's great." But then after you watch it a few times, you're like, mm, "It ain't as great as it felt when I first watched it." Yeah, and I think, I think that's where. The whole trilogy alone just there wasn't enough planning. No one talked to each other. And I think Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams, they should have just collabed on the entire trilogy uh, instead of them each doing their own thing or one person do it all. And honestly, I would have preferred it to have been Ryan Johnson because I think JJ really mucked up with with what he gave Ryan Johnson to go off of and um, Force Awakens was nothing. Yeah, just so. remade a New Hope. So how do I? So I have to remake Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. I have to do. So that's what you yeah. left me with. And then, and then freaking. But the Last Jedi went, was a good film. Jet Last Jedi is a good film. Um, and that's the other okay one. So Last yeah. Jedi is good, but dude, Rise of Skywalker. 
that's the last movie you did, is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And it's not because it's not visually striking or anything. It's because they took a great story and shot it in the head. Well, <laughs> it's Disney, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the action scenes reminded me of Frozen 2. <laughs> right? Like, think about them, like, at the end. It's yeah, like, just like Frozen it, 2. It did have some Frozen like, 2 what vibes. The... And like, then, oh, I just hate the, the forced bonding between these two. And they're, like, falling in love. And it's, so I'm you're like, telling me it seemed forced? Yes, it was very forced. <laughs> and, oh, my God, I'm trying to force it down my throat. So so you think J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson should have collaborated for the same reason, I believe, that Dr. Manhattan doesn't wear clothes. <laughs> Two heads are better than Two one. Two heads are better than one. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that is why. Yes, oh, yes. Because they, they, they could have just... What did you think of J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Trek movies, those two? Star Trek and Into Into Darkness. I only saw the first, what was that, 2009? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I seen that one. Fire. I did like, and I'm Chris not a Pine, Trek man. guy. I Me love either. Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. I really fell in love with Chris Pine with Hell or High Water. Because I was kind of iffy on him, but I did like him in Star Trek. And now I do really appreciate Chris Pine a lot, actually. I actually really like him. He was the best part of Wonder Woman, also. Which he is, was great in Wonder which Woman. Which is sad, but, you know, you I can mean, connect with him. Oh no, man! When they're when they're out in, uh, beginning all the chicks training and stuff, uh, oh. <laughs> I, I have a problem with that. <laughs> well, no, no, I just mean like you know how no, he, he tried to find a character you can relate to. Mm -hmm. He was very relatable. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he kind of yeah. had like an everyman vibe. Yes, there. yeah. Yes. So yes. I definitely like Chris Pine and Wonder Woman. He's he's a good actor. He's definitely reliable. He's serviceable. He can give you if you need that regular guy that most people can relate to but can still give you an edge to a character where he doesn't feel flat chris pine is definitely a good guy to go to for there if you ever get a chance to see it i think it might be on hbo max because it was on tnt i'm the knight it was a mini series patty jenkins the director of wonder woman and wonder mm -hmm. woman 2 she i think she directed some episodes and produced it and so did Chris Pine. It was right oh. after, I think, they did Wonder Woman 2. Nice. Incredible. He plays like this P.I. And it's based on a true story, even though you find out later, if you do any research, his character was totally made up. Oh, wow. But it's about this, he plays like this down and out, like, kind of P.I. or detective or a reporter guy. I, I forget. It's been a few years. But he is so good in that in that show. It's just insane. It that, that the character who's made up is the best part of the show. Well, a lot of times that's how it is. And, it, ask, and that, that's got to be a testament to his performance. Ask Cora about it because we watched it and she loved it. And okay. it's his tennis shoes. Ask her about his tennis shoes. He kept wearing these weird tennis shoes like throughout the whole series no matter what he was doing. Sneaking into someone's house. You know that's what I mean? He's wearing these bright colored crazy shoes, is he? I think they were white. But I, I don't know. It was just crazy. But his performance in it is amazing. And it was the first time I was like, God, he's such a great actor. Yeah, it's act. And and no one it seems to really care, yeah. if that makes sense. No one I, you never hear people it's because raving of, over Chris Pine. It's because of Princess Diaries too, man. He's been blackballed. He, yeah, <laughs> because man. of that. Hey, Princess Diaries too was a letdown because I was a big fan of the first one, bro. Oh, really? Because I 
I really liked Anne Hathaway as a kid. Because I think I was in sixth grade when that came out. Mm. So, you know, I still like kid stuff to a degree. Yeah, yeah. So, The Princess Diary was appealing. I did want to see it. It was a good film. Um, And we got the the birth of Anne Hathaway, man. Yeah. Look at her now. Yeah. One of the best in the game. She's very reliable. Especially, you know, broke back. There's a lot more reasons just her acting skills. I do like her in that movie, but Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, she was good in. Yeah. I mean, she's in a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Speaking of Brokeback, called Love and Other Drugs. Oh and yeah, she was really good in that movie too. Um, she's in a good movie called One Day too. She's in. I, I, I actually, I actually had a little Anne Hathaway face. So I've seen okay. a lot of her weird. What about Ella like, Enchanted? Ellen Chan is great. Yeah, I, yeah. See, I'm, I, I like those kind of It was of like films. a live-action like, Shrek. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> that's what they said about I it at the time. That, that is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, because it I came out sh- shortly thereafter. Shrek is... Listen, Shrek is one of the best animated films ever made. Easily. Yeah. I, I don't think it can be argued. But you still got to watch the new Puss in Boots. Yes, I do. Because I can't lie. I was extremely shocked at how... It shouldn't have been that good. It's, so... It's like the animated version of Top Gun Maverick. It really is. Uh, like, it shouldn't that be that no good. business being as <laughs> yeah. good as it was. Yeah. It was that good. Come on, man. You know, I, I know you had zero faith in Maverick. You had none. None whatsoever. None. I did have none. And I was like, bro, I'm telling you it's that movie. <laughs> as a kid, I was forced to watch Top Gun because oh, of my older sister. I hate Top Gun. It yeah. sucks. Oh, it's terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> and you know I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. I can't stand Top Gun. It's got some of the cringiest moments ever in it. I'm like... You mean you don't sing to a woman randomly no, at the mall? No, I don't. I don't sing the Righteous the Brothers? bathrooms. I don't yeah. do stuff like that. No. Yeah. Um, but you need a Top Gun to get Maverick, you know? Yeah. So, and Maverick... Maverick was a... The world needed Maverick. The world did need Maverick. Maverick. I can't argue with you. It did. We, we needed it. Because it really did get people... Because like, like you said, like we were talking about the other day, I will say, No Way Home was the, everybody got back yeah. in the movies for that. They did. Yes, they a lot yes. of money. Um, but Top Gun was like, the movies are here to stay. Yes. Like they're back again. And I don't know, man, with Tom Cruise, just what he did for the movie and just how he really pushed for, like, guys, go see this movie in theaters. Not not to line my pockets. I'm rich. And he waited two I years, you, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I want you to experience this on a big screen with the loud sound in a room full of everybody enjoying the same thing to show people why we love the film so much and why going to see films in theaters and supporting this art form is important you know that that's what I, that's why i appreciate top gun so much yeah maverick <laughs> and and look they were actually great performances even they were jennifer Connolly. oh bro she's she's legendary she's beautiful she's great look bashir south Britain was man. good in it oh yeah labyrinth yeah <laughs> bro everybody was good in it miles yeah. teller killed oh myers my, I, I can't even pronounce his name miles oh. teller Honestly, we've talked about this before. He was a good Reed Richards he in really Fantastic was, Four. Yeah. Just because it was a bad movie bad doesn't movie, mean he good was bad. performance in a bad movie. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of those. Yeah. So, yeah, he's... And like I said, I, I really love the movie The Spectacular now. Him and Shailene Woodley, the chick from oh. uh, The Diversion. Yeah. Just 
great, great coming of age story. Um, he's like a like a baby alcoholic in there. It's really crazy. Yeah, it's it's really it's really good. The yeah. only thing I liked her in that I saw, she was supposed to be Mary Jane in Andrew Garfield's Amazing Spider-Man series, but her scene was cut from Amazing Spider-Man Two. Hmm. I mean, but can't go wrong. With the Descendants that. with George Clooney. George Clooney. Oh, such uh, a great film. Yeah. Funny. That's yes. a good one. Um, yeah. I remember when that came out. So, you know, I was I was on my George Clooney kickback when that came and out. That's George Clooney at like Pete Clooney. Pete, that's Pete Clooney, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. Pete. Because oh. look, Mr. Fox. That is Pete. You know what? Yeah, I'll say. Oh, I'll say from Ocean's Eleven up uh, until probably up in the air was Pete Clooney. You know what? You're right because. He was great and out of sight. He was great, but that was but, one of the starter ones. That, yeah, because it's like right after started. Batman yeah, and Robin. It was right after Batman and Robin. Yeah, he had to shed that because it's like he. I think he had just left ER, mm-hmm. so it was like Batman and Robin, and then Peacemaker. I think with Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. in '97, and then Out of Sight came out, and nobody watched it. Yeah, crazy. No one saw it. But it's such an amazing so Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh's so good. Oh man. my god, just the editing. The editing, like, bro, oh. no, you know who's haunting in that movie? Don Cheadle, mm. and that's Soderbergh's guy. He's in a lot yeah. of his stuff. That's the first time I really saw Don Cheadle. Now that I think about it, I know he was around before that. Mine was Boogie Nights. Oh, okay. and it's crazy because if you watch Boogie Nights. He plays a very soft and vulnerable person struggling with his identity and who he is and his place in the world, and you just feel for him. And then you watch him in Out of Sight, and he's a complete a-hole. Oh, yeah. And, dude, the scene where, guys, if you've never seen it, I'm sorry, i got to spoil the scene, but the scene where he crushes that dude's fish in his hand. Oh, yes, I was like, oh, yes. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, yeah, I was actually, yeah, in the prison. Yeah, in the prison. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. actually scared of him. I was like, yeah. I was like, wow, who would do that to someone? Yeah. So, yeah, he he's a really, really good actor. And and, he, and even when he became Rhodes, although oh, I yeah. did like Terrence Howard for Rhodes, I guess he was a pain in the ass to deal with, but he came in and he seamlessly filled that role. Yeah. And, you know, does what he does. But, yeah, Clooney was... Clooney had his little Clooney renaissance. Because, like, he you did. watched Mr. Fox a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Dude, I almost watched it again the other day. I'm like, it's so funny. It is, <laughs> and and the delivery and everything, and without seeing him, or even uh, Meryl Streep mm-hmm. in it, and Schwartzman. She, yeah, dude, Schwartzman's always Tell you know, Shire's. Son. He eats up less dialogue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. But Meryl Streep has very few lines in that movie. Yeah. But everyone she has. It all they all pack a punch and they all leave you feeling like every because she typically has the last word in the scene if she yeah. speaks, and whatever that word is, you're just like, mm. you know. So something about that woman, very maximum or minimal, brings yeah. it brings it. Funny voice performance because we're just talking about voice acting now. Yeah. Coming to Meryl Streep, thinking about someone with that level of talent doing a voice role did you see guillermo's pinocchio not yet i have not and i i apologize it's amazing because he's apologized to Guillermo. i i should apologize to him because i i love him as a filmmaker like so good look blade two blade two amazing one of the best sequels actually yeah yeah yeah. because listen blade one holds a dear dear place in my heart 
I watched that a lot as a kid. That's up there with like the Matrix. Like I watched those a ton. Look, Steven Dorff was, was great in that movie. Yeah, obviously Wesley Snipes great. was. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but but you got to think of people holding their own with like 1998 Wesley Snipes. Yes, because he was at the top of yeah. his game. He was going hard. I mean, I even love freaking Chris Christopherson in there. Oh, man. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> he's smooth yeah. in there, bro. He's got the slick gray hair. He's looking yeah. fresh in there. That's but, right. Um, when it comes to uh, voice acting, dude, y'all check out Guillermo. Kate Blanchett plays a monkey. Zero words. And she's in the entire film playing this monkey. And I just love Guillermo's like, I'm going to take possibly the best working actress right now who's been begging me to be in one of my films. And I'm going to go ahead and have her play one of the smallest characters in the movie that has almost zero meaning but she brings so much life to this monkey that the monkey slowly starts to become one of your favorite characters and ooh, ooh ah ah's from Kate Blanchett just sound different from someone else it's it's insane what so, talent can do so is it like the way Vin Diesel made Groot oh just he saying, made Groot. Groot he made Groot just yes. saying the same thing over and over again you can almost communicate with this exactly being. the same thing. What's insane to me is like, it doesn't even sound like Vin Diesel. No, like no. It's, it, he just sounds. I don't know what he sounds like, but it just fits. It just fits so perfectly. I I couldn't even compare him to anything. He was the Iron Giant, also. So you could compare him to the Iron Giant. Forget that. That's yeah, such a good film. So Hogarth. Yeah, Hogarth. Oh, oh I my love God. dude. And I think Christopher McDonald does the voice of the guy. He, he's um, the, 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 the guy. cop guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yo. Yes. He's, he's right. Those, he has dude, been. He's been around. <laughs> yeah. He got roles, roles. He has a ton of roles. They may, they're never starring roles. But yeah. he's the, he was the supporting guy of the 90s. Have you ever seen one of Kevin Hart's first films, Superhero Movie? It was That's like, the name of it? Yeah. Remember in like the early 2000s, they were making like All Not Another Team yeah. movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not Another Team movie was great. Yeah. It just spoofs like Spider-Man and X-Men Kevin and stuff. Hart did a spoof superhero movie called Superhero Movie. I think he was the main character's best friend. I think he may have been handicapped. I could be wrong. <laughs> How do I not know about I, this? I might have to look I can't believe really I quick. don't know about this. If I, this is insane. If I can... That's crazy. While you're looking that up, yeah. Um, I mean the the early two thousands for the spoof movies was one of my favorite times in films because scary movie, not another teen movie, were two of the funniest films coming yeah. in. The, the, yeah, Kevin Hart is in two thousands with. Oh, yeah. Drake Bell is like Drake the, Bell. He's like the the it's the main character is sort of like Spider Man. Mm -hmm. You know, he's some kind of insect and. <laughs> And Christopher McDonald is like the... Is he the villain? Yeah, he's the um, <laughs> the uh, Norman Osborn wow. of, of that movie, let's say. And and I believe Kevin Hart is like his... I want to say he's like his handicapped friend. I, I picture him with crutches, but I might be thinking of, See, the, feel, of, of the guy I'm, from Percy Jackson. Okay. Yeah. Um, Percy Jackson was good. I did like yeah. Percy Jackson. See, that gives me, like, Shazam vibes. Oh, know, yeah, the, because of the, Freddy. The little friend who yeah. can't do shit, but, you know, it's your best friend's a hero. You know, it's good. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. It's probably awful, but I'm going to have to check it out. From what I remember, it was, because it's really, <laughs> all that came out at the time was, like, the Spider-Man movies, I think some X-Men movies, 
maybe Daredevil was out yeah, at that Daredevil point. Daredevil was what, oh two, three? It was oh three. It was the beginning yeah. of 03. Because mm-hmm. was like, because this came out, dude. Remember, two thousand and eight. You know, I always defend Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Like, I the director's cut is actually good. Like, it's. I just think it's one of those films. I watched it with zero expectations. Yeah. So I went into it just blind. And I, like I said, it was the best movie I yeah. I, did, I enjoyed it. So so was it awkward then watching No Way Home, seeing Matt Murdock sitting in the same room as Foggy Nelson from Daredevil, <laughs> the movie? I mean. Because Happy I was even Foggy. I didn't think about it. But, yeah. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I guess that would be <laughs> yeah. awkward. Yeah, shouldn't we be working together here? Yeah. No. Well, yeah, that is awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I just realized that. I'm like, wait, John Favreau played. Dude, he was happy. Yeah, you know? he's he's another treasure gem. People don't talk about enough. Swingers. He's Swingers is amazing. He yeah. single handedly is carrying Star Wars right now. Oh yeah, um, he's the Mandalorian guy. Yeah, right? he's carrying Star Wars. Yeah. And then, dude, he did Elf. Oh, he did. You're he right, did Elf, man. I always forget that he directed Elf. Dude, yeah, I think that was his first one. No, oh, oh no, Doug Lyman directed Swingers. You're yeah. right, that might yeah. be his first. I think that was his first direction. Yeah, because he wrote Swingers. He wrote Swingers, yeah. and then Iron Man, he directed that. Yeah. Which is insane. Because he started... They get he, him to kick, pretty much kick off the MCU. Yeah, that's what he did. He, he must have came with a hell of a pitch, man. Well, if you think about it at the time, uh, no one cared about Iron Man. That is true. And I was like, so, what are the only... He was one of the only heroes that I really followed outside of movies because I always thought he was badass. I don't know why. But my uncle really liked Iron Man. Yeah. So he would show me little shit from him and we'd play the video games and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I always liked Iron Man. So I went into Iron Man 1 really excited. So yeah. I went and saw that opening. Game, I could tell you know? by your facial hair that you're an Iron Man fan. <laughs> right? I was trying to <laughs> Tony Stark down, man. I'm yeah, like, I got to be there. I understand. You know, he's, he's a smooth devil. But look, Robert Downey Jr., man, he owned oh, that role. 5'6", playing a 6'2 guy, making him feel like he's 7 foot. Yeah. Insane. He's a... He's always been a great actor, though. Old, uh, he he is he is Tony. There's no other Tony. There's no other way to do it. When they were, I remember a few years ago there was talks, you know, about him maybe being replaced. And they were like, "Oh, well, John Hamm." I'm like, "John Hamm would have played a decent start, but now that I've seen yeah, Downey Jr., I can't I can't unsee him." I think Tom Cruise turned down the role. They wanted Tom Cruise. He would have been a good Tony. Star. Yeah, I think he could have brought a lot would, to it. I think so too. Yeah. He probably was like, "I'm just in too many freaking franchises, dude." Like, yeah. Like, yeah, because it would have been too much of a commitment yeah, for yeah. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, yeah. yeah. He's like, dude, I got to do one of these every other year. I can't yeah. be hemmed up. And you know they're giving him, what, $30 million to do a freaking Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, so, yeah I mean. Plus probably part of the back end. He's he definitely getting a piece of the back end. Yeah. Tom, listen, Tom has got to be the best businessman movie yeah. star maybe ever. Because yeah. he, I say Marlon... Really was the one who kind of started that because remember he got back in off Superman, yeah, and got that pretty much made him a millionaire overnight. Yeah, like, and, got, and that was just for a few minutes. Few minutes, yeah, and, and they paid him an, an exorbitant he got amount, a stupid amount of money. Yeah, stupid. I'm like, bro, and he can't he even got, pronounce Krypton. He can't, Krypton. Krypton. Yeah, it's Krypton. <laughs> That's just Marlon for you, man. <laughs> 
Simpson. Marlon for you. Yeah. But yeah, that he he was a one of the first like, all right, I'm gonna need a piece of that profit. And I mean he and he could demand it because he was who he was. Yeah. Like he even got a fat chunk of Apocalypse Now. He got back in off that, even wow. though he was a disaster for the film. <laughs> he was good in the film. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you show up eighty pounds overweight, didn't read the script, didn't read the source material. Yeah. And you argue with every single person on set. Him and Dennis Hopper almost fist fought the whole time. Like, really? Yeah, they hated each other. Wow. And Dennis Hopper's like, it drove me crazy knowing I had to praise this man in the film. You know? Yeah, he's yeah. Like, he's like, he's the man. He's like, oh, <laughs> God. But, I mean, yeah, he got... Tom gets back in, but he would have been a he would have been perfect to start too. I think yeah. he would have, but I think Downey Jr. has an attitude and edge to him, a, a dirty dark side to him. Yeah, Tom Cruise doesn't. Tom Cruise may be a bit too squeaky clean for Tony Stark because Tony Stark likes the ladies. He likes to do his thing. Yeah. Tom Cruise don't really play them type of characters like that. So, and I think you're right. Like Robert Downey Jr.'s personal life like his uh oh he's a rock star man. but but his trials and tribulations <laughs> let's say at, it the, led at the time here. because tony stark even in the comics had he like similar battles out, man yeah, yeah. drunk it, as hell yes exactly like, yeah he was yeah and I, and I wish marvel would have explored more of the darker side of tony stark as a person yeah because that was what drew me to him when i was introduced to him as a kid yeah, so he's flaws. He's super flawed super regular dude yeah that's why i think him and batman are two of the best heroes because they both come from tragedies both lost their fathers both hella smart both hella rich but they both are extremely vulnerable and can be beaten they have had their moments where like this might be it yeah and wit and intellect wins the fight for them even though they got all these gadgets the gadgets don't mean shit if you don't know what to do with them so yeah, their yeah. intellect to me was always i won't say superior to super beings but i think it does give them an edge yeah because they can't rely on anything they can't else. rely on anything like you can you know, be thor is bringing the power yeah, you know? yeah. the hawk is powerful where, yeah you know tony like look at iron man 3 i, I do like how in Iron Man 3, they did show Stark on. Stark is Stark. Yeah. He, he had his little baby gadgets for yes, him, but he yes. wasn't suited up the whole time. He was yeah. using miniature versions of himself. You know, he was flying all these drones. And I did like that aspect of it because they did show that this man is a hero despite the exterior. Yeah. So, Take away the suit and what are you? Yeah. He's still a hero. He's still a hero, bro. Yeah. I mean, billionaire playboy from yeah. Africa. But, you know? <laughs> also a hero. Also a hero. I'm still a hero. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, ah, God, that just... The spark Disney had going with that, man. They they started it off right with Iron Man. And then and then uh what was next? Was it the first Avenger? Uh, Captain no, America? No, believe it or not, the next one was Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton. That was after Iron Man. It was. Uh Iron Man came out at the beginning of May. Uh Incredible Hulk was in oh, June. That was because That's because Ang Lee, the, right? No, Ang Lee was in two thousand three. That's Eric Bana. That was Eric Bana. Okay, Louis okay. Le, Lemier or something. I think he's a French director. Okay. Dir directed The Incredible Hulk. Okay. But it, it's because yeah. uh, there was a cameo at the end with uh, General Ross and Tony Stark mm -hmm. in a bar. But you can't. 
I don't think it's on like Disney Plus that or anything. That's what I'm like. I gotta rewatch that. I do not remember that one. I don't remember that one. I gotta rewatch that. It's one. sort of I remember an, the Ang Lee one. It's sort of an indirect sequel to the Ang Lee one because it starts off. I believe he's where Eric Bana's Hulk was at the end, like in South America. Okay. And he's like still like hiding out or whatever, and something happens. I think somebody finds him or something. So they, uh, I'm not going to tell you how in case you haven't seen it. Cause I'm like, but, and, and then he I like goes on the, on the run and then that's how everything comes out. Have you seen She-Hulk at all? Oh, you only saw the one episode. I saw the one episode. Because I, got, I, I might have. Because I did like that episode, so what? I would give it. But I did watch the episode where everyone if, said was the best one. So I don't. If you watch She Hulk, you'll need to see the Incredible Hulk first because one of the characters who's throughout the series is the villain from the Incredible Hulk. Okay, played right, by Tim see. Roth. Tim Roth is amazing. Yeah. I love Tim Look, Roth. Look, you have Ed Norton, you have Tim Roth, you have um William Hurt. Dude, that's a that's a cast. Yeah, that's the, a cast. The one that was probably miscast was uh I think Liv Tyler played Betsy Ross. Yeah, which that or is no weird. Betty Ross. Sorry, Betsy Ross made the flag yeah. way back when. It's Betty Ross. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, because uh flag. in in the Ang Lee version it was Jennifer Connolly. Yep. Ooh, yeah. yeah. It was a better Betty Ross. But I love Liv Tyler, man. I do like Liv Tyler. Not I, a fan. I don't think... I mean, I, I don't want to call her a Nepo baby, which is the new buzzword, because her dad was Steven Tyler, and she was raised by Todd Rundgren or whatever. But you gotta admit, she's decent in the role she's been in, man. You know what? I guess... You don't keep... She's got a lot of roles. You don't get that. Oh, she was in the Lord of the Rings sunk. movies, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she okay. Was, she was looking right in those. Yeah. Right? I was oh. thinking like Armageddon. I was just gonna say, bro. I don't care what no one says. She was great in Armageddon. I don't care what anyone says. I, I love that film. Well, I love Armageddon. What do you? How do you feel about Deep Impact? Because that came Deep out. Deep Impact was good too. Were you disappointed it wasn't a sequel to Boogie Nights? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because you're a Boogie Nights fan. I am. I was. I wasn't disappointed. Because with Dirk but Diggler, it Dirk should be Deep Diggler Impact. Should be Deep Impact, and that's the only way you go. <laughs> deep Impact was good. It wasn't. Wasn't as fun as Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon. I mean, that's early Michael Bay. Yeah, yeah. That's when like yeah. Armageddon was fun, and it had a crazy cast. You got a young Ben. You got Bruce. Yeah. You got Liv. You got Steve Buscemi. Yeah, like that's you right. had a lot of like heavy hitters in there. The guy who was the kingpin in your Daredevil movie, and I can't remember his name from the Green Mile. Michael Clark, man. Yes, Michael yeah, Duncan Clark. Yes, yeah, yes. Like, he was great. Yeah, he was rest in peace. He was a really good actor. Like he was, he played. Mile had me in tears. There was a, a Spider Man cartoon on MTV after Spider Man came out. It was before Spider Man. It was after Spider Man. No, it was before Spider Man Two. So it was between Spider Man and Spider Man Two, and it was computer animated. It was pretty good, and he played the kingpin in that also because. Wow. So it almost makes me think like Daredevil and that Spider Man. Might have been in the same. They're in the same peripherally, yeah. you know, peripherally. At this point, cross whatever you want now, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, in the multiverse. Just, I was like, if you just verse jump, you can do whatever yeah. you want. Just multiverse it up, and mm. we can talk about the that whole thing. It's 
But we'd have um, to. I, that's a whole episode on its own. Yeah. You know and, what? That's a whole episode. And, and you know what? We might have to do it after The Flash comes out. Yes. Because The Flash, I'd like to compare to Everything Everywhere Everything All at Everywhere, once, yeah. Which is now like the benchmark as far mm-hmm. as multiverse That's the multiverse goes. benchmark for sure. Because then, and then you have No Way Home and Doctor Strange Doctor and the Strange. Multiverse of Madness. Oh. And, and Ant-Man. And Loki. Oh, and Loki. The first season of Loki and, and then Ant-Man. Loki. Yep. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of multiverse activity, and the multi- in a short amount of time. This is all within like four years, and I'm excited for the Flash because I I, too. I love the character of the Flash, but the idea of a multiverse started in Flash comics in the '60s. So this is where yeah, it so, should have been. Yeah, and and it's been in the TV show for you know almost ten years now. Like him, well Barry, you know, always screws up the timeline because he's always like running and screwing something up or going to like a different earth or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's always been almost like a, a trope of the character. Yep. So I like to, I want to see how they handle it and then compare it to these other iterations of how they've done it over the past couple of years. Dude, it's going to, cause I mean, one thing I probably should do, cause when does flash come out? June, si- June 16th. That's soon. Um, one thing I should probably do is watch all the flash TV show. Because I haven't seen all of it. It's, I need to watch it. It's all on Netflix. Yeah, I know it's all yeah, on Netflix. Yeah. So I'm like, I should probably just go ahead and bang that out. Because I am excited to see what they do with The Flash, man. And, and like, it looks like it's going to be good. I don't know. I think it's going to be fun. Believe it or not, maybe just the first three seasons. Because I've seen them all. Okay. And they're in the ninth season now. It's like the last one. And and there's some that you know are better than others, but they're still good because you're like the Flash is still on. Yeah. So how can it really be bad? It can't be bad if and, you see the Flash. And over COVID, I admit some of the quality dipped, but I think it was more what COVID did to COVID the industry did to the overall. Industry and to everyone, so, so they couldn't do what they wanted to do. But the first three seasons, I will say, like establish a lot of who. The Flash is and has been over the past few decades because they mine a lot of great stories from great writers like Mark Wade or Jeff mm-hmm. Johns, who over the past thirty years really made the character who he is. And Jeff Johns wrote Flashpoint. Oh wow! So okay. he he took like what Mark Wade did it throughout the nineties and in the early two thousands, like reinvented in a way like Wally West because it was Wally West at the time, not yeah. Barry Allen. Yeah. And then he brought Barry Allen back. So the show incorporates a lot of what they did with Wally West in the comics, mm-hmm. and like, including the Speed Force. The Speed Force didn't really exist until Mark Wade invented it. So, so maybe the first three seasons, if anything, because there's a lot to get into All right, with first that. Because the first three, the villains are more important to who the Flash is. Especially the first season. So they shape his character. Yeah. Okay. Even if you only watch the first season, the first season... Maybe the most important one because it has more to do with his backstory and who he is and why he is who he is, why he's a police scientist and why he's why he runs fast. You know, kind of like how Superman the movie probably be the most important one. Yeah, yeah. No matter what, it doesn't have much going on as far as what he's the future of him is. Yeah, but Superman the movie sets you up for who you're going to be dealing with and why the motivations essentially. Yes. Yeah. 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 So if, if anything, just the first season, because then at least that's like a cliff notes version of 
who Barry Allen is. All right. Cool. Yeah. And see, you got your Superman shirt on. I do. I, I do. Yeah, I, ooh, I, I gotta say, man, you definitely gave me a new perspective on Superman because I never was big on him, but Superman the movie and Superman two were were very good. Probably, if Superman the movie should probably be on the best films of all time list, it probably should. And I think you watched the Donner cut of Superman yes. two, which is oh, yeah. which is I think the better version. Well, that's what everyone says. Cause yeah. Uh, I asked this kid who works for me. He's like, he, he's a big comic guy, and yeah. he was like, "Dude, you gotta watch the Donner Cut." He's like, "There's no other yeah. version." You yeah, know? that's what he said. He's like, There's no other version. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. But Man of Steel did feel like the Donner Cut. Um, yeah, recut up and modernized. Yeah, it's like the first hour of Superman the movie yes. and the Donner Cut and the Donner Cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's what really what like. it is. Yeah, you, you had the origin there, and you know with. Uh, who played his dad? Kevin Costner? Yeah, um, Kevin Costner. Yeah. Kevin Costner and him and him, you know, gotta, gotta hold it in. You gotta take your beatings from these assholes. You yeah. freaking destroy them in two seconds. Yeah. You know, and then you got the, the whole, the whole main conflict feels like the Donner cut. So yeah. it definitely was a, a combination of the two. And I really did like Henry Cavill as superman i really liked him a lot he um, was a good superman he is i i admit and the weird thing is people didn't really like him until the whole snyder cut thing because yeah. people trashed man of steel yeah and batman v superman when they came out but even batman v superman is still like the continuation of that like the modern world trying to deal with this being that could in theory, I think destroy us instead of yeah. being like, "Oh, he he's okay. Mm-hmm. He he loves us." It's not the Christopher Reeve version nope. because it's not the same world that he grew up in. Yeah, it's a very so, different world. They they distrust him, mm-hmm. so that's why like they're spying on him. Like at, at the end of Man of Steel with the satellite, yep. and stuff. And it's like how like he knows who he is, but they don't. And that's why I believe it was called Man of Steel and not like Superman's mm-hmm. whatever. Because he's not Superman yet. He's he had to kill Superman Zod yet. to become, to realize that he doesn't want to kill. Michael Shannon, what a villain. Yeah, he's great. always a villain too, man. He makes a great villain. He does. He, do, he just has a villainous face. Even in uh, Knives Out. Knives Out, he's with his little cane. Yeah. He looks villainous with his little cane. Yeah. You know? like, Michael Shannon's a good actor, though. I do like him. I just watched something else he was in. He was really good, and I can't remember what it was. Was it Midnight Special? Because I think he was in that movie. No, it wasn't. I can't remember what it was. It'll pop in my head. And I'll yeah. But yeah, um, Superman is definitely, he's on my radar. But what's the future of Superman like now, though? Like, you know, like comic book wise or just, no, oh, or no, you mean the movies? No. James Gunn is writing and I think going to direct Superman Legacy. Who's playing? They haven't said yet. Because look, he's doing the PR work for guardians three now. Mm-hmm. So that's like his last thing for Marvel. And then it's back to like spearheading DC and look, he did a great job with peacemaker and the suicide squad. So. Suicide squad is fire, man. Yeah. One of that low expectations came out very, very, very satisfied. I was John Cena was incredible. He was, I was just going to say John Cena really <laughs> blew me away. Um, and, if, and if you haven't seen Peacemaker, I have to watch Peacemaker. Because look, it's John Cena's story, and James Gunn. I think he directed five out of the eight episodes and wow. wrote all of them. Okay, okay. so He's it's involved. like it's it's his baby as much as like the Guardian stuff. 
He's involved. I mean, yeah. he's kind of the most reliable guy we got in Hero Cinema right now. I think so, yeah. Uh, he's probably he's kind of the go-to. I mean, Snyder still, Snyder still has to be taken in consideration. And the thing about Zack Snyder is he'll translate your stories well and do it in an artistic way. I know people complain about those slow-mo shots. But that's a splash page from a comic book. Yes. You know? I was like, that's comic book ass. Yeah. Like, and and you see it in like Captain America Civil War a couple times because I think Marvel knew that they had to show at least some images that mirrored like the comic book it was based on in some way. And that's what Zack Snyder does as a director. He tries to honor the fans, whether critics like it or not. You know, I mean, he's he's really thinking about the source material and how to translate it in a way that fans will enjoy. It's just weird that, like, people don't appreciate it at the time. It's always later. I was just going to say, I was like, yeah. bro, but, like, if people go back and they're like, you know what? He did his thing with this, especially the Watchmen. Like, yeah. he trashed it. I'm like, the Watchmen's easily one of the best hero films ever. It's great. I saw that in the theater at the midnight show, dude. Oh, you were you didn't get home till what, Which, four yeah. o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> if you think about how clever this was, right? Because in Watchmen, they're talking about the Doomsday Clock. So there's a lot of thing about clocks. Doctor Manhattan's dad was a watchmaker, mm -hmm. you know. So the midnight show on March six, two thousand and nine. So you have twelve, three, six, and nine all around mm -hmm. the clock. Wow. The, yeah. That's actually pretty cool. Crazy symmetry. Yeah, didn't even would have never thought about that. Yeah. But there was only one show that was like yeah. that. Yeah, just one. Yeah, that's but it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a real I guess so. Or I guess maybe a noon show also that day. Yeah, noon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, they, so there could have been two shows. There could have been two. But <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah. But I mean, what he did with the Watchmen was next level. Flush out all the characters well. Yeah. You got to know them all. You got to see the good and the bad of them all. Yeah. And he brought them all together to where everything made sense. And the action was dope, man. I'm yeah. like, the action was dope. And, like, his portrayal of the comedian was, I think, was just brilliant. Comedian <laughs> is actually based on Peacemaker. Really? Yeah, because DC wouldn't let Alan Moore, when he wrote the story, use the old Charlton characters that he wanted to use, so he had to make, like, analogs for them. Wow. Yeah, okay. so so the comedian is actually wow. basically Peacemaker. I did love the comedian. Yeah. And, like, even though he does some messed up stuff, it's almost like, in the grand scheme of things, was it that bad for what came later? Of yeah. course, in the time, it all seems bad. But then, you know, even... When you look at it, you're like, well, he could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he was bad. Yeah, he, he was. was. He, he was. was. I can't condone a big number of his actions. Okay, yes. I can't. But it's just like Rorschach. I can't say I agree with everything that comes out of his mouth, but I think his overall intent is in the right place. Yes. So, And, and it, if you, when, I should say, when you watch the Watchmen show, You'll see how his intent could be twisted. Mm-hmm. I gotta watch that. Show. Yeah, because it's it's really incredible. Even though it's not like sanctioned by Alan Moore, because nothing ever would be. 
what they were able to do in order to honor the source material is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta see. All right, bro. Oh, yeah. I guess it's been a while. Oh, my goodness. Wrap them up, guys. Yeah. Wow. Appreciate whoever's listening. Went on a little long, but this is what we were talking about. This is how it goes. This is a regular conversation between us two all the time, whether a microphone's on or not. So... This is just how we do. We break stuff down. We get into it and, you know, bounce stuff around. You learn a lot of new stuff, guys. So you'll learn a ton of stuff if you just watch the cutting room floor. (laughs) And Dom also has a YouTube channel. Don't forget the popcorn where he reviews films. Yeah, I do. I do reviews, smaller, you know, smaller scale videos. But I do a lot of rankings and go over lists and things like that. Talk about you know, directors in certain genres and break it all down. So yeah, you can check that out too. Um, if you guys are interested but. and on, don't forget the popcorn. He has streaming recommendations. Oh yeah. So he, he suggested we do that as well. Yeah. So what is your streaming recommendation? Well, let's see my streaming recommendation right now. Ah, uh, actually tough because i could go with a few i always like to challenge my listeners though and i'm gonna do that here no i'm not i'll challenge you later okay (laughs) i was gonna challenge him with something no i'm not gonna do that right now my streaming recommendation though um Let me think. Give them yours. Okay. Because I got... Uh, I might just uh, do what might seem like a cop-out right now, but I would suggest Zack Snyder's Justice League because it will set up... Yeah, that's not a cop-out. That's a good one. Even if it's not in continuity to the new Flash film, it at least sets up the most we've seen of that version of the Flash on screen so far. And who he is, and at least how he may have started. So, and it's on HBO Max. So, I would say Zack Snyder's Justice League as some background to that this version of the Flash and what he's been through. Nice, nice. All right, I got a weird one. I got a weird one. It's actually on YouTube for free currently. Um, so watch this quick. You know, because you never know when something could get taken down. 1968, Jane Fonda film had to do it to him. They shoot horses, don't they? Mm. And it's a film about the depression and kind of the lengths certain people were willing to go just to survive. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's a movie, the entire movie, people dance in it for the whole film. And it's one of the best watches. Really? Yep. It's a great film. Wow. Who else is in it? Oh, God. And anyone, uh, you know, because at the time, because that's like post-Barbarella Jane Mm -hmm. Fonda. So she was like riding high. She was riding high when this came out. Uh, She got the Oscar nom for it. Wow. Uh, Because, you know, she's just that freaking good. Oh, it's Michael Sarazen, um, Gig Young, Mm. Susanna York. Oh, Bruce Dern is in this movie. Yeah, Bruce Dern's in it. Um, Susanna York, she's in Superman. Mm-hmm. She's 
one of the Kryptonians. Yep, she's the Kryptonian. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Wow. It's good, though. It's a great film. Um, I think it's a film everyone should watch and see at least once because I think it gives you a good example of what it was like to be around in those times. Kind of like the Grapes of Wrath. But this movie, I think, is more watchable and more digestible than Grapes of Wrath. Wasn't her dad in the Grapes of Wrath? Yes, he is. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Henry. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Henry was great, man. Yeah, he was. Henry was great. You know, he was... I love Henry. Yeah. The whole family tree was great. I liked Peter. I liked Henry. Yeah. I liked Jane. I love Jane. You know, she's the best. And she still has movies coming out this year. Yeah. <laughs> Look, what, 85? 85. She's still... Killing it. Yeah. You know, her and Lily T, they're just, they're going to they're gonna be around so you know, they are. I wonder why they never did a sequel to 9 to 5. Because Dolly Parton got ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wow! Sorry. Wow! That was me. Wow! She was so gorgeous when she was younger, and then I don't know what happened. The the, the work, the plastic surgery, oh, just yeah. didn't work, man. And she looked so like in nine to five, she looked stunning. That's a funny one. Yeah, that is a good one. But guys, hope you enjoy the cutting room floor. You know. Let us know if you want to hear about something, whatever it is, you know, but this was just the pilot. The next episode will be far more structured. We'll stay on a topic, but we just wanted to give you guys a taste of what it can be like when things go off the rails, but in the most beautiful, poetic way possible, because we covered a lot of ground and we both learned a lot just in this conversation. So anything you want to add? No, just uh, thank thank you, and I thank, oh, thank you. any listeners for their time. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, uh, depending on where this ends up, uh, leave comments. Yep. I guess. We'll be all over. Yeah. yeah we'll be all over eventually, but guys, you know, it's going to be slow at first. All right, until next time. Till next time, leave it on the cutting room floor. <laughs>